Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back to Eye on the Community. I'm Vicki Pepper. What can be done to fix the crippled U.S. Senate? In this time in history of vast disagreement, I think something we can all agree on is how frustrating it is when our elected officials allow partisanship to create gridlock and prevent things from getting done. On the line with me to discuss is Adam Jenelson, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Senator Harry Reid of Nevada. He's currently the Public Affairs Director of Democracy Forward and author of Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Mr. Jenelson, how did it get to this point. How did the Senate go from a great deliberative body to the nexus of partisan gridlock? Well, that's what the book is about, and I'll try to fast forward through it as much as I, as I can. You know, and the answer, in, in a word, is the filibuster. You know, wh- one of the things I think is really important for your listeners to understand is the filibuster, while this may be something that we all associate with the Senate, you know, we think of Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, you know, the iconic image of senators on the floor giving a speech to try to hold back some bad things from happening. Even though it's something we directly associate with the Senate, it actually was not part of the original Senate, and it was not invented until about half a century after the Senate came into existence. It was invented for the sole purpose at the time, or I shouldn't say the sole purpose, but for the for the primary purpose of protecting slavery. Um, its, its chief innovator was a man named John Calhoun, who was a senator from South Carolina, sort of a grandfather of the Confederacy. And he invented the filibuster, uh, what we would come today sort of identify as a filibuster. It didn't have a name. It was so new that it took a decade even after he started practicing it for to acquire a name. And his purpose was to protect slavery against the march of progress. So its purpose in the very beginning was to, was to block and delay, and it continued to serve that purpose up to the modern day. What we see today is it being used on virtually every bill that comes before the Senate, even when, when Calhoun invented it and then on through the rest of the 19th century and all, through almost all of the 20th century, the filibuster was used very rarely. Today, it is used on virtually every bill that comes before the Senate. So if I had to sum it up in one word, I would say the reason the Senate is paralyzed is because of the filibuster. Historically, how has the Senate delayed broadly supported legislation? Well, it's been hard, and for a reason. Historically, when the filibuster was deployed, and again, when I say it was deployed rarely, I mean maybe once a year. But when it was deployed, it was sort of the Jimmy uh, Stewart style. You had to go to the floor, you had to talk, you had to hold the floor. And part of the reason that it often didn't succeed was that was very hard to do for any extended period of time. You know, the longest filibuster in recorded history was by Strom Thurmond, and that was for about 13 hours. So that's the record, and it's you know not that long. You can wait it out. It just takes a day. What happens now is that instead of delaying through a series of procedural innovations that I, that I will not bore your listeners with the details of, instead of 
talking on the floor, senators are allowed to simply raise the threshold for passage from a simple majority, which, you know, this is a chamber of 100 senators, so that would be 50 or 51 votes, depending on if you have the vice president bringing a tie. The filibuster allows you to raise the threshold for passage from that simple majority to a supermajority of 60 votes. This was not the way it was supposed to be. The framers were very clear. They had written the Constitution in the shadow of the Articles of Confederation, and the Articles of Confederation had been a disaster because it required a supermajority for bills to pass Congress. The framers were very clear in the Federalist Papers and many other writings in Madison's letters. They did not think that our legislative bodies should have the supermajority threshold, and they were very clear about why. They said that if you put it there, it's going to make it impossible to get things done, and it's going to make it very easy for the party that's out of power to throw a monkey wrench into the system and block things from happening for the sole purpose of manufacturing gridlock and making the majority look bad. How did the framers view the Senate, and how have we moved on from that vision? Yeah, that's a great question, because the way the framers viewed the Senate was very different. I think if the framers could look at the House of Representatives today, they would probably say, okay, yeah, that looks about right. That's that's about what we intended it to be. You know, there'll be some changes, obviously, but but on balance, you know, this is the chamber operating like we thought it would. If the framers could look at the Senate, I think they would be horrified. I think it looks nothing like what they intended. They wanted the Senate to be a free-flowing, open, uh, leaderless institution. I want to talk about that very briefly. The Senate did not have leaders. We've become accustomed to this idea of majority and minority leaders. Those positions did not exist in the original Senate. The Speaker of the House was created by the Constitution and has existed since the very beginning. But the Senate was designed to have no leaders. The position of party leaders, of majority and minority leaders, were not created until the 1920s. Even once they were created then, they were sort of a clerical secretarial position to sort of keep track of party business. They did not have any real power until LBJ took the role and sort of breathed power into it. And I talk about how he did that in the book. So everything about the Senate today, from the fact that it's paralyzed, that there's no debate, that things are not passing, and that senators are marching in lockstep to the orders of partisan All of this would astound the framers, and it would not be what they thought the Senate should be. I'm speaking with Adam Jenelson, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Senator Harry Reid of Nevada, currently the Public Affairs Director of Democracy Forward and author of Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. You briefly touched on this earlier, but tell us more about how the filibuster evolved into the supermajority threshold that we know today. Sure. When the Senate was first created, there were a bunch of rules that were put on the books to end debate. And, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about before, about the Senate being different from when it was created in the way it is now. Obstruction originally was considered to be beneath senators. It was not something they were expected to do. And if debate ever got out of hand, if it became obstructive, there was a rule on the books that allowed senators to vote to end debate. So, you know, this isn't a vote to pass the bill, but it's a vote to say, sort of wrap it up, let's bring this debate to a close so that we can then actually have the vote to pass the bill and move on. That rule was a majority threshold vote. It was never used because senators, like I said, thought obstruction was beneath them. And so around 1806, it got scrubbed from the rule books by accident because it, it wasn't necessary. I mentioned Calhoun. He came about 30 years later and started to use that loophole that was created by the removal of this rule to invent the filibuster. So what happened was in 1917, after a, a big public backlash against a filibuster. This one was aimed at President Wilson's uh, attempt to arm American merchant ships prior to the entry of World War One. The public was outraged at this filibuster. So the Senate decided it wanted to give itself tools to end the filibuster. And so what it did was it restored a version of that rule that had been in the books originally that would be a procedural vote to wrap up debate on a bill. They put that threshold at two-thirds. 
that's a supermajority. The idea being that sort of a reasonable person standard, senators could agree that if debate had gone on for too long, they could wrap it up. And this was not supposed to be the vote on the bill itself. This was supposed to be sort of like, you know, telling your kids, hey, you know, turn off the TV in five minutes. What happened was over many decades, from basically 1917 until the 2000s, that procedural vote went from being a tool to end debate into the final verdict on a bill. What happened was that obstructionists realized that this offered them a better chance of beating a bill because it was a higher threshold. This was a supermajority threshold, while the vote to actually pass the bill remained at a majority threshold. And so they started making this vote. It's called cloture. You may hear it sometimes in coverage of the Senate. They started making this cloture vote the decisive vote. And it has become very easy for senators to force that threshold to apply. It's gone from the days of having senators stand on the floor and actually have to you know, give a long speech to senators being able to send an email to their party leadership. And that email is what automatically raises, it applies cloture, and it raises the threshold from a majority to a supermajority. And it's really just become a matter of accepting this as normal. And it is not the way it was meant to be, but it is, has come to become normalized over several decades. So that is why when you hear talk about the Senate, everybody says, well, it takes 60 votes to pass something in the Senate. You know, what they mean is it's, that's not the vote to pass the bill. That is this procedural tool that has come to be a hurdle in the intermediary path of the bill towards passage that has sort of become normalized as the as the decisive verdict on a bill. Bipartisanship is supposed to promote compromise, but oftentimes that doesn't happen. Why not? So this is interesting. You know, what's happened is we've become polarized, and that's not just in the Senate. That's, you know, a, a larger trend that is affecting Americans in all walks of life. But in the Senate, what that means is one side benefits from making the other side fail. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but I'm saying that we've seen for years and years that this has been the trend in how senators behave. A narrow Senate majority on the face of it might seem like it would provide fertile ground for bipartisanship. If both parties have about equal amounts of power, you'd think they'd want to work together. In practice, it actually has the opposite effect. When Republicans, as they are today, are one seat away from taking back the majority, they have a strong political incentive to make Democrats, the party in power, look bad so that there will be gridlock, the Democrats' voting base will be depressed, and Republicans will ride that voter discontent to take back the one seat that they need in the 2022 midterms. So having the control of the majority be just barely out of reach for the party out of power makes the party out of power want to refuse to cooperate to make the party in power look bad so that the party out of power can get back into power. This overall system leads to gridlock, it leads to paralysis, and that in turn is bad for bipartisanship. You simply can't have bipartisanship if nothing is getting done. What I advocate for in the book is a series of reforms that would put the Senate back to where the framers intended it, to make it a thoughtful, deliberative body, but also one that actually gets things done. And once you get the gears of government turning again, once you get the gears of legislation moving, that is the condition I think that you can hope would restore some bipartisanship when senators actually get back in the habit of legislating, of doing the people's business uh, and working together again. I'm speaking with Adam Jenelson, author of Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy. Any last thoughts for us? No, I just would say to folks that, you know, the Senate, it's a daunting institution. It's hard to understand. I hope the book uh, helps strip away some of the myths surrounding it. But ultimately, it is an institution that has always changed throughout its existence and can change again. And it is relatively simple to do so. All it takes is a majority vote. You can actually lower the, you can get rid of the supermajority threshold by a majority threshold vote. 
So if, if there is a will, if, if uh, people want it to happen and they call their senators, uh, this is something that can actually get done. And how can we get your book? Uh, you can find Kill Switch anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to be here. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.